Speaking of distractions, I was told there was a white Jeep outside that the alarm is going off. So if that's yours, now is your time to feel really awkward as we judge you for having the Jeep that's going off right outside somewhere. I don't hear it, though. Maybe it stopped. It stopped. It went off. Very good. An unnecessary announcement for you, which itself was a distraction. But I did not honor your prayer. Well, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. A chapter in which a multitude of incredible sermons and books have been written on. The encounter with Nicodemus. Last week in John chapter 2, we see that Jesus interacts at the temple with the Pharisees. And in rebuking them and what they were doing, we noted this very simple reality. That all the best wisdom of men is but the wisdom of man. The pragmatic practices, the philosophies, the experiences and traditions by which advice is given, all that originates with man is still but men. It comes short to the revealed Word of God. Today, in this first portion of Nicodemus's interaction that we're going to be examining, we see that all the best of men, Nicodemus being a respected teacher of Israel, the best of the best, all the best of men are but men. They come short. The best teachings of men come short and cannot bring us to newness of life. The best of men, as much as they try and as studious as they may be, it will not bring them, bring us newness of life. The best of men, the best of women, we all come woefully short. And this exposes for us then a desperate dependence that all of us have, regardless of our resume, regardless of our past, desperate of new life, desperate of being born again, desperate of receiving a newness of life by looking to Jesus alone. This is the gospel. This is the good news that this inner encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus, we pray, would stand out in our eyes and our minds. For if we were to take a situation and create it and say, what would be the most ideal situation for somebody to grasp who Jesus is? We would take somebody and say, listen, let's take a Pharisee. This group that was established by Israel and placed over 500 years, so after the return from captivity, the Persians released them back into the land, and the Pharisees and Sadducees helped to have the people try to enforce and live by the 611 plus laws or so. They're studious. They know God's Word front and back. They've memorized it, committed it to heart, given their life to it. And then we'll place the Messiah in the temple right before Him on their home court. And we'll have Him do miracles. And surely, the greatest and wisest of men, the elder of elders, this group, would, would surely be able to identify them. And maybe there's a lot of people, there's so many people around, let's send him there quietly at night so he has a one-on-one -on -one audience with the Messiah, the one he's been studying his whole life, looking forward to his coming. And maybe then he'll get it. What we see in the encounter with Nicodemus is that all come short of the glory of God. All, whether Jew or Gentile, whether shamed Samaritan woman or most noble and respected of teacher of Israel, all are desperate to be born again. All need newness of life. 
So let's begin as we look at our text, and we note first and foremost that Nicodemus was a respected teacher of Israel. This is a good thing, but that couldn't bring him new life. Nicodemus was a respected teacher of Israel, but that could not bring him newness of life. And friends, I would say if you put the best attribute that you have, the greatest achievement that you've ever accomplished, and we said of you, Brent grew the greatest of beards. But that couldn't bring him new life. You could put your name in the thing you are most proud of to show off and say, look, I did it. And that is not capable of bringing newness of life. Nicodemus was the respected teacher of Israel. God made Himself known to Abraham. And He established a people, a nation, a multitude in Israel. And this teacher of Israel, this expert in the Word of God, he did not know enough. He did not understand enough. He was incapable of bringing Himself newness of life. And we see that in his interaction with Jesus. Now, we want to note that though Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, a literal man. He's having a literal conversation at the dead of night. Nicodemus represents more than just Nicodemus. Nicodemus represents all the Jewish leaders. He represents all the nation of Israel, but he also represents all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And I know that, we know that because the way that Jesus responds to his interaction with Nicodemus. He doesn't simply say you, but he gives generals. So look at verse 3. This is important to capture. We can make a mistake as we look at stories like this, narrative, this text that flows along, and we can say, well, this, how does this apply to me? Well, look how Jesus responds to them. Multitude of places. We'll look at two. Look at verse 3. Jesus responds to Nicodemus, but he says, unless one is born again. Generalizing, unless one is born again. That's all of us. That's Jew, that's Gentile. That's male, that's, that's female. That's a person that grew up in a church context. That's a person that has never graced the doors of a church in their life unless one is born again. And in verse 8, look down to verse 8, everyone who is born of the Spirit. Everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, an expert in the law, surely he would have thought with the kingdom of God if Jesus would have simply said, if all Gentiles are born again, if all Gentiles are born again, remember there's Jews, ethnic Jews, and then there's Gentiles. That's all the rest, all the lot of the rest. Nicodemus would have been amening him. Truly, truly, he'd been giving high fives. He said, you preach it, Jesus, you got it. Unless those Gentiles are born again, they'll not have newness of life. But what does Jesus say to Nicodemus, the respected Pharisee and teacher of Israel? Unless one is born again, even you, Nicodemus. And we know that Nicodemus hears this and it hits him and it challenges him. You know, oftentimes when I, I try to kind of keep it covered that I'm a pastor sometimes in interactions with people, because people can get weird when they find out you're a pastor. It's true. They don't know how to respond to you. All right, sometimes it's kind of fun. But usually I keep it secretive. I don't tell them that. I'll let them naturally work up later in the conversation. What we see that happens with Nicodemus is he realizes, he knows that Jesus is referring to him specifically. That Jesus speaks in generalities, unless one be born again. Nicodemus knows in his interaction that it's coming back at him. For how does he respond to Jesus? Jesus, how can I, an old man, an older man, how can I enter back into my mother's womb? He is perplexed. He's convicted. 
He knows the weight of what Jesus is saying is something that he cannot do. He cannot study enough. He cannot try hard enough. He cannot do enough to accomplish being born again. It's outside of his capacities. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. That's exactly what the text is showing us. It is outside of your capacities to do, to gain. The humility that this must bring us in our life. We can make a mistake. I don't know about you, but I know in this text, when the first times I heard it, and even the hundredth time I've heard it, part of me looks at Nicodemus, and, 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 and I'm pride within me, says, this guy is, what's his problem? Clearly, Jesus isn't saying, crawl back into your mother's womb, right? And all the women in the room should say, Amen. Please don't do try that. No. A horror movie. But we look at Nicodemus and we say, Nicodemus, this man of understanding, he does not understand. And we can look down on them. We can look down on the most respected teachers of Israel and say, you fool. We can look at the disciples' interactions with Jesus, these men that left their lives to follow after Jesus. And we can see again and again, and he says, how often do I have to keep telling you, you slow to understand? You still don't understand. And we can look and say, these guys are pathetic. How do they not understand? We understand. Oh, they're just, what's their problem? How wild is it that is us that have by grace been born from above, who have been born again, who have been given the miracle of life, the newness of life to look to Jesus alone by belief, by faith, we can act as though we were smart and put the dots together. We can act and swell up with pride and say, well, we figured it out. When in reality, the text shows us that it is by grace that we were saved, by faith. This gift that God has given us of life in His name, newness of life to be born from above is something man cannot comprehend on their own. All the best of men are but men. All the best wisdom of man is but wisdom of man. We need newness of life. And just as Nicodemus got the point that it was outside of his control, just as none of us willed ourselves to be born, none of us in here made ourselves born, so too none of us in our might can make ourselves born again. That's the reality that Nicodemus strikes home. Jesus will soon tell him how he is to be born again. And who is the one in charge of giving newness of life? But feel the weight from the beginning that even Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, he cannot give himself new life. What a prayer to pray right now on our own minds. God, thank you. Thank you. Even the things in my life that I've done that I'm most proud of will not bring me newness of life. But by belief in your Son, the Messiah, Jesus, alone, do I have new life? A recipient of life. To be born again isn't active, it's passive. To be born from above. That's what Nicodemus realizes here early on in the story. And it ought to mark us as believers with an incredible humility. So when we see interactions like this through the Gospel of John, that makes us say, oh, how do you not get it? We should immediately say, oh, thank you, God, for the grace of understanding you've given my heart. That I do understand, for I was just as blind. I loved my pride and to serve my own sin just as much. I was just as blind in need of a miracle, 
of understanding and newness of life. What humility and joy this should give us as believers. Believers, we ought to be the most humble of people. Because we realize God's grace has been lavished upon us. Secondly, not only was Nicodemus a, a leader, a teacher of Israel, but Nicodemus was also an eyewitness to Christ's miracles. He was an eyewitness. He understood the Scriptures. His Hebrew was way better than any of ours will ever be. He understood it masterfully. And he was an eyewitness to Christ's miracles. He didn't hear an account that Jesus did a miracle. We read accounts. We read general that Jesus did signs there. But we don't know what they were in detail. Nicodemus didn't just know them or hear about them. Nicodemus saw them. Maybe he tasted, literally tasted of them. His senses were engaged. He saw them. Masses of people saw the miracles that Jesus did. This was not some psychedelic experience where people are seeing different things. Hallucinations don't happen with everybody seeing the same thing, experiencing the same thing. But the multitudes, they see the signs that Jesus does and they believe. And what did Jesus say about them at the end of chapter 2? He knew their hearts. He didn't need anyone to testify about their hearts. Therefore, he did not entrust himself over to them, for he knew they were what? Not yet born again. Not yet born from above. Nicodemus was an eyewitness. He saw, and by God's grace, he saw the miracle and he went to the right person, but he was still blinded. Think about it. Nicodemus literally saw them. If he had a cell phone, he could have lifted and hit record. And if the internet existed 2,000 years ago, he could have uploaded it, and this video would be the most popular video of all time. Even more than cat videos, right? Everything. Just all these videos. We would look at that, and you realize how many hundreds of millions or billions of views the miracles would take. And do you know what would happen? Not one of us, not one of the billions of views of that video would be brought to newness of life because they observed with their fleshly eyes and processed with their fleshly mind what they saw. Nicodemus saw a miracle and he went to the miracle worker. He went to Jesus. He understood who did the sign and he went to Jesus. But even observing a miracle firsthand was not enough to give him a miracle of newness of life. He didn't realize, he overestimated how much he understood and he underestimated how much he was dependent upon God to enter the kingdom, to enter his kingdom. And we can do the same thing today. We can underestimate how dependent we are upon the grace of God for holiness and growth in our walk with Christ. As the Lord sanctifies us, makes us more and more Christ-like practically in our lives, as we grow and mature, we can easily forget, like Nicodemus, how dependent we are upon God to work in us and shape us and sharpen us in our relationships and in our life. And that's where Nicodemus is. He underestimates his need for the Savior. We are clay and he is the potter. The tendency of clay is what we do is we underestimate the chasm, the gap between us as the clay and the good and holy potter. For you and I interact every day with other clay. Some clay is a little harder than us, and some clay is a little softer than us. 
Nicodemus was softer, it seemed, than a lot of the clay around him. And Nicodemus needed to be made new to have relationship with the Holy God. He needed a heart transplant. He saw a miracle, and, his, and the miracle led him to the right person, but he needed to receive a miracle, the miracle of newness of life. You see, believer, if you come to faith in Christ, you are the recipient of a miracle. Last week, when the Pharisees asked for a sign from Jesus, he told them, he gave them a miraculous, this incredible prophecy of a sign, the ultimate sign that would come. That Jesus, he would have his body destroyed and three days later would raise it up again. And by belief, we have life in him. That's the greatest of all miracles. And our understanding and our receiving and the humbling of our hearts to come to newness of life, to believe in Jesus, the great love that God has shown us in him, that is a miracle. Whether your story is one in which you grew up in a, in a home with Christian parents, where they had family worship, they read the Bible together with you, they prayed with you, they brought you to church faithfully, and if you came to faith in Christ as a child, listen, that was a miracle. That was an absolute miracle of God. Just as much if, if, if somebody with one of the refugees that Jeff and Greta, Greta Simons, one of the, the missionaries we partner with, just as well if one of them comes to faith in Christ. Or Jerry and Pam and their mission network they work with in training and trying to reach Muslims with the good news of Christ. All of those stories, every single time somebody comes to faith in Christ that believes in Jesus, that humbles himself and comes to Christ, that is a miracle. And we should never take it for granted or think it's some programmatic thing. No, it's the proclamation of the Gospel, the good news of Christ, life, death, and resurrection, to turn and trust in Him and have life by belief in His name. That's the good news. When somebody comes to faith in Christ, they look to Jesus. That is a miracle. That's the good news that Nicodemus has. He's seen a miracle, but he doesn't realize he needs to experience to be a recipient of a miracle of newness of life. But the Spirit of God, the one in whom no one will control. Remember Mary that said, Jesus, will you, will you heal? Will you, will you fix this wedding situation? Jesus rebuked her. Because even Mary can't dictate miracles. The Pharisees demanded a miracle, but they don't have the power to dictate miracles. Nicodemus sees a miracle, and what he doesn't realize is he needs to be the recipient of a miracle. He needs new life that can only come from above. The Spirit will blow where he blows. And we'll see that he blows among a Samaritan woman. And he blows among a lame man, desperate in hope and hopeless. That's the goodness of our Lord. We can make the mistake of thinking that we're neutral. I'll give you an example. When I was in college about 15 years ago, it makes me sound a lot older. When I was in college an anonymous number of years ago, right? I, I had a religious studies uh, professor. And I remember sitting in the room, and it was, a, it was a large room, probably similar to this size, but there was only about 20 of us or so in the class. And she always spoke with a microphone on, uh, and she had her little uh, pulpit, and she would share, she would speak, and, and she was very anti-Christian. She had a deep wound, and she was very anti-Christianity. And she said, uh, one moment, I was a freshman or sophomore, and she said, uh, Jesus did not raise from the dead. Jesus did not go to heaven, and Jesus will not come back just like he has not come back for 2,000 years. And if you believe that, you are brainwashed. She told a class of us. And I remember at that moment praying, genuinely just 
praying right there, God, would you make her pulpit just fly in the air? Would you do something that's so undeniable? Do something in the clouds. Just do something wild that you can do. Do it now so she'll see who you are. I realize now that I should not have been praying for her to see a miracle. I should have been praying for her to receive a miracle of newness of life, right? In my prayer, I assumed that she was neutral. In my prayer, I had assumed that God had not sufficiently made himself known. In my prayer, I made her the victim. God hadn't done his job. When in reality, the Scripture teaches that we are hardened and we actively suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. God has made himself known. And yet we harden ourselves actively. And that's what Nicodemus hears. He must passively be born again. God must work. And so what should that do for us? Our prayer ought to be, just as Nicodemus saw a miracle and he didn't come to Christ, our prayer should be that God would do the miracle of bringing people to newness of life. And we know that Scripture teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So the commission and the application for us as, as believers, young and old alike, is that the Gospel would just regularly be on our lips. That we'd be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that He would give us wisdom to just weave the Gospel into conversations. The good news of life that we can have by trusting in Christ, the Holy One of God who came and took away the sin of the world. Oh, that, that would always be on our lips for all that look to Jesus, for all that believe in Jesus, have life and life in His name. That's the good news. So God, would you wire our brains to process and think in that way. So, number three. So we saw that Nicodemus first was a teacher of Israel. That wasn't enough for newness of life. We saw so too he even saw miracles with his own eyes, just as Judas did and the Pharisees did. And yet that wasn't enough for newness of life. So too, third, we see that to be born again is to be born from above by the Spirit. To be born again is to be born from above by the Spirit. And what I want to do is I want to give first a clarification and then an explanation. First a clarification and then an explanation. Point of clarification is this. To be born of water and Spirit is not speaking of baptism, but rather of being regenerated by God, made alive by God, regenerated. So if the power in this room went off and we had a generator and the generator came on and worked properly, what would happen to the lights that were off? They would turn on, right? They would come on, the, the generator. So this statement of being born of water and the Spirit is shorthand for saying, taking Old Testament language and saying not two separate things, not be born of the Spirit and be baptized with water, it's saying the same thing. You must be born from above. You must be regenerated. You must be brought to life by God. God must bring you to life. The baptism, we have a baptism class going on right now. Baptism is a beautiful gift that God gives us. It's an outward proclamation of your allegiance to Jesus. You've been united with Him in His life and death and resurrection. And you're baptized into a body, into a fellowship, a local body of believers, that you walk out that mutual confession of being made clean and, and, a, and a public belief just as you raise from the water that one day you believe just as Jesus received a glorified resurrected body, so too you will receive a glorified resurrected body. Though your body as it presently is will die one day because your faith is in Jesus, you've been hidden in him, you too will receive a newness of life, a new body glorified, resurrected with him forever. That's the good news communicated in the context of baptism. So, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So is this talking about two separate ideas? No, it is not. What I want you to look first to is I want you to look over, flipping your Bibles to Ezekiel 36. Look to Ezekiel 36. We're going to zoom in on verse 25 through 27, but Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, we'll read a few texts before that, but I want you to be there because I'll give you time to flip there and we'll, we'll spend time because that's the most poignant of text. What are some reasons that we believe this is talking about regeneration, being born from above, not, uh, not, not water baptism? Well, first, what does Jesus rebuke Nicodemus with? Jesus speaks of these things and he highlights Nicodemus's application, his resume. Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? What would that give us good insights to? Nicodemus was an expert in what? He was an expert in the Scriptures. So Nicodemus, you don't see this. This is in the Scriptures. And you don't even understand this? So some Old Testament Scriptures that reflect this language of pouring, the Spirit is poured out, but there's several different texts that give this idea of washing, this made clean, this living water that the Lord will give. And we'll see that in the Gospel of John as the, as the text unfolds further. But I'll read for us this little statement by D.A. Carson before I read for us a couple other Old Testament texts. He's got a great little commentary on the Gospel of John. He says, When water is used figuratively in the Old Testament, it habitually refers to renewal or cleansing, especially when it's found in the conjunction with spirit. This conjunction may be explicit or, or may, hide, uh, may hide behind language depicting the pouring out of the spirit. I want you to listen for these things. I'm going to read for us three different texts. First, I'm going to read Numbers 19. You can write down the reference, because I'm not going to give you time to flip there. Numbers 19, 17 through 19. Psalm 51, 9 through 10, a text you're probably familiar with. And Isaiah 44, a text we actually touched on a small bit back in December, but Isaiah 44, 3 through 5. But where I want your Bibles to be open to is Ezekiel 36, because that's where we're going to cannonball at for a little bit. Numbers 19. So again, what we're saying, to be born of water in the Spirit is a need to be born from above to believe in Jesus, to have newness of life. Here's some texts that give some insight to this. Numbers 19, with purity laws. In the Old Testament, the text says, For the unclean they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent, and on all the furnishings and on all the persons who were there, and on whoever touches the bone or the slain or the dead or the grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. Thus, on the seventh day, he shall cleanse himself and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. At the evening, he shall be clean. The unclean person needs who to sprinkle him? A clean person. So there's some, keep that in mind. So Psalm 51, verse 9 and 10. This is David's prayer after uh, adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, her husband. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins. This is what David's praise and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. A beautiful prayer. Isaiah 44, 3-5, the Lord says to Israel, For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's 
and, and name himself by the name of Israel. God's pouring out upon the people, bringing them to life. God doing this work. So I want you to look at Ezekiel 36 now. We'll just zoom in on 25 through 27. I'm going to ask you a few questions after this, so you didn't know you were getting a test today. Surprise! Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Question number one, who is doing the heart surgery? God's doing the heart surgery upon his people. Number two, who is doing the cleansing? God, the holy pure one, is doing the cleansing. Who is doing the sprinkling of clean water? God is doing the sprinkling. Who is putting his spirit within his people? God is putting his spirit within his people. So from this and all later interactions with Nicodemus, ask yourself, is, is, is Jesus trying to get Nicodemus to, to hold to Christian baptism? Or is Jesus highlighting for Nicodemus the reality of what he's already been telling him? His total dependency upon the spirit of God for newness of life. I think that's what he's saying to him. So, clarification, and now an explanation. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit and further declaration? I summarize for us here. God will not be manipulated. God will not be manipulated. Jesus is never, he's not manipulatable by the crowds, by the masses, by the pressures, by individual power conversations. He's not manipulated, even by family. God will not be manipulated. Salvation is by grace through faith and is of the Lord. So, here's the application for us. Humble yourself and believe on Jesus alone, the Son of Man that was high and lifted up on the cross for you to look upon and to have eternal life. That's the application. To humble ourselves and to look to Jesus. To look to Jesus alone. This is not a regional faith. Biblical Christianity is not a regional faith. This is a universal, global truth for all people of all places at all times. New life is given by looking to Jesus, by looking to God. By looking to Jesus. That is the news for us. That is the only hope for us and every other person on the entire face of this earth. Our greatest family member and our worst enemy. Only by looking to Jesus do we have life, but by looking to Jesus we can have life. That's the good news. We must be forgiven. You must be born again. That's what Nicodemus represents all of us, saying to you, you must be born again. But I know so-and-so who was a pastor. Earlier I told you that I try to hide that I am a pastor to people in conversations because, you know, one of the most common responses I hear back is, I've got an uncle that's a pastor. I don't know what that means ever. There's a desire in our heart to justify ourselves. And what Jesus tells us is you must be born again. It's not a matter of try harder, but it's a matter of look to Jesus and have life. Look to Jesus only and have life. Abide in Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. 
That's the good news that we have in life. And what Ezekiel 36 reminds us is that we on our own have hearts of stone. And part of us just so wants a little religion that we can polish the way that we want to. You can take a rock and you can polish it down to the shape of a heart. But it's still a stone. It will not pump blood. It will not give you life. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in referencing the Scripture that he should have known as a teacher of Israel. We don't need to clean ourselves up to come to Christ. We need to humbly look to Jesus, the great love of God that is ours in Christ. That's the good news for us. It's not what you do, it's about what's been done for you. To look to Jesus, you have life. As a church family, that's our calling together to keep looking to Jesus together and to live on mission calling people to look to Jesus alone and have life and keep looking to Jesus and walking after Him. And Jesus tells them in referencing Numbers 21. He references this story. Matter of fact, flip over to Numbers 21. I may or may not read it, but I'll for sure summarize it. Look at Numbers 21. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, as you keep reading the Scriptures, He tells Nicodemus the same thing that Paul and Silas will tell the Philippian jailer later on in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer will say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul will tell them the same thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Look to Jesus. Turn from yourself in pride and look to Jesus. And then as a church family, we just continually turn from our pride and keep looking and walking toward Jesus. As we suffer, as we celebrate. As we grieve, we look to Jesus. We walk after Him. In Numbers 21, Jesus gives this 13, 14, 15. I'll I'll read it from from John chapter 3. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the Word made flesh to dwell among us. He's the one that has life in Himself. Verse 4, chapter 1. And He references this historical account. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the servant, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now the story from Numbers 21. Look at this. This is a story that creeps me out because I hate snakes. Numbers 21. From Mount Or, they set out by the way of the Red Sea. This is Israel, the nation of Israel, God's people, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. They complain against God. What's the Lord do? Verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, so they, don't, they can't fight the serpents, serpents. They don't have life by trying to stomp on the serpents. We're increasing their 40 time. Verse 7. And the people came to Moses. They know they had this intercessor in Moses, this one between them, who's leading them. They came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. 
Oh Lord, if you don't act, we're dead. That's the proclamation of one that the Lord is working in. To come to faith in Christ. Lord, if you don't work, I am dead. I'm damned. I deserve your wrath. Just wrath. It's just. God is just to send the fiery serpents. So what does Moses do? So Moses prayed for his people. Look at this, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus says, like that, I'll be lifted up on the cross. And just as Israel was to humble herself and look to the serpent, look to the provision of God and have life, he tells Nicodemus and he tells all people, you look to me, believe in me. You have life. That's good news. The best wisdom of men is but of man, and the best of men is but a man. But the one who came from above, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Deliverer, God with us, in Him we have life. Isn't that news worth your life? There is no greater aim. What a gift that God has given us in His Word this morning. In our next steps, three next steps. The shocking reality of our salvation being entirely by the beautiful, gracious favor of God. This is a humbling reality. As many of us who know Jesus, who are, have already believed and looked to Jesus, it's a beautiful reminder of God, my salvation, your love that you've lavished upon me really is of your working. That humility ought to lead us to thanksgiving. And so take time today. Take time this week. If you have people in your home with you, take time. Find a friend to just take time thanking God for His kind, beautiful love that He's shown you in Christ. The adoption that's yours in Christ. What a beautiful reason for thanksgiving in every season. Secondly, we often yearn for experiences like what Nicodemus had. Yet when he meets Jesus, Jesus tells him to humble himself and believe. How does that response that Jesus gave to Nicodemus, how does that stir you to humility and peace? But Nicodemus, who is so much more devout than we could ever be, was told by Jesus, the one who has life in himself, don't work, Nicodemus, but believe in me and you have life. What good news that is to us. What good news that is. And then thirdly, all things that lead us to praise should lead us to proclamation. Who in your life will you pray and ask the Spirit of God, God, would you show me somebody in my life this week that I need to encourage to look to Jesus, to come alongside, to pray for, to encourage and just encourage him to look to Jesus with me. What a great gift God has given us. Amen? Would you stand with me in response to that as we sing in worship to our King? You move as the Spirit leads you this morning. Give glory to our King.